0: What's it like to run a Bitcoin ATM business in Mexico? For the fifth episode of Bitcoin Expat Stories, I invited Pablo Urquiza, co-founder of CryptoFlamingo.io to talk about his experience operating the business and the many challenges he has faced. Pablo was born in Mexico City, but he lived eight years in Toronto, Canada, where he completed his university studies and worked in the financial district. Pablo thought his life was going to be in that country. That was until the pandemic began in 2020, and he had no choice but to move back to Mexico to preserve his freedom. In this podcast, we interview Bitcoiners and expats in the Latin American region to talk about their stories and their projects. If you like this episode, please share it so others can enjoy the content too. Thank you for listening.
1: into the subject like can you tell us a bit about yourself Pablo? Absolutely okay well I'm from Mexico City I was born and raised in this country in that city specifically when I was 20 years old I went to Canada I went there for university and then I stayed there for a total of eight years I was there uh, working for a mortgage company called Home Trust Company my background in school is uh, economics and finance so I have I did an experience in the financial uh, district in Toronto. I was there for almost three years and it was great, but uh, COVID started and honestly, Canada was not livable at that point anymore. I decided to use going back to Mexico after being there for eight years. And it's been three years since I have been using Bitcoin on a regular basis, I would say.
0: That's awesome. Thank you for that. So you, you had you were born in mexico you lived in canada a couple of years and now you're back to mexico so and and you say you're a Bitcoiner for for three years so maybe let's start with the canada mexico part so what was the what why did you go to canada initially and like what was your experience living in canada
1: compared to your upbringing in mexico okay perfect so when i was in high school a university from the United States came uh, to give us a speech, right? They wanted to use the, have more Mexican students from that particular high school going into their, uh, I guess, school. I was supposed to be one of the students. I applied for it. I did my SATs. Everything was good to go. At the end of the day, I noticed that it would be really expensive for me to be um, attending to that university. So I just uh, didn't do it. And after that, well, because I also noticed that uh, immigration purposes in the United States are really complicated. Prior to that, like in 2007, I had been to Canada, and I loved Toronto. It was quite uh, a similar city to Chicago, in my point of view. So when my previous plan didn't go through, I just started to look for different options. I looked at the university, well, a college in Canada, and it was honestly so cheap. It was comparable to a private school in Mexico okay, that's a good idea. So I went through that process, and uh, I noticed that uh, if you wanted to become a permanent resident of Canada and after a citizen, it's a really easy process, right? Yes, it's long, but it's honestly quite simple compared to the United States. So that was the defining factor for me to just go to Canada over the U.S., and um, it was honestly amazing for eight years. What your journey. That's, that's awesome thank you for that
0: so uh, it was really just about the immigration policy and the cost right Absolutely. so yeah Canada makes that more accessible than the US particularly for Mexicans uh, who, who have a very hard time entering the US so but would then then my question would be like uh, when you so you when you were in Canada was it only for studies or did you do some years of work as well uh, I think you mentioned you you got into like the
1: financial district so so you worked a couple of years. Like, where did you work? How was, how was that? So, in Mexico, right? For the most part, here, nobody works. If you are from a middle class family, there's little to no chance that you're going to have a job when you're in high school and a university. Maybe, in the last years of university, you might have to do, like, an internship, and that's a different story. But in Canada, as you know, people work like, 14 to 15 years old, right? So, I was in Canada, and I got my first, I guess, job on my, my first real job, I would say, on my third year of college. I used to work at the bookstore, and uh, ever since then, I used to be, after I was a server for a couple years, I used to be a, a call center agent. So I pretty much did all the service jobs that you can think of in Toronto, because living over there is expensive compared to Mexico, right? So my family, they were sending me money from Mexico, which is the Mexican peso. And if you spend in a different currency, that is definitely worth more more than ours, it's honestly quite expensive. So I had to just like be become as a I guess a Canadian. that they work and they study. And the government was allowing that for different people, right? Even for students coming from overseas. So that's basically what pushed me through to just start to get a job, start to make some money. And ever since then I have never stopped working. That's honestly one advantage of Canada, that you can work when you're a little kid. And you actually get to just know the real value of money. Yeah, that, that is a, a definitely an advantage. I feel like a lot of young
0: kids or just teenagers and even like young adults here have very little value for money. Obviously the poor people do, but like as soon as you're upper middle class, upper class, you have no understanding of what money is, you waste it, you spend it very foolishly, uh, because your parents just provide it to you, right? They don't want you to work because only poor people work, right? That's not it, true.
1: studies. When you're like, uh, I guess, in high school, as I said before, none of my friends, none of my I guess, like uh, acquaintances was working at the time because they didn't have to, right? They said, our friends said, like, you have one job, which is at school. you got to go through school, get good grades, and then after, you go to university. So that's basically a different mentality, a different culture, completely different to North American culture. Here in Mexico, I would say that my good friends, they never really worked up until the, their internships, when they were like, uh, maybe like 21 years old. So it's quite different, right? I've, I've been working, maybe like, I would say 23 years old, actually, so I've been working since I was like 22. So compared to Canada, they, they work at 14, 15 years old. That's a huge discrepancy that we have. For sure, I, I started working when I was 15, uh, just because like it was
0: just normal for us to work after school. Uh, I started selling chocolates door-to-door, and then I worked at restaurants, you know, from 15 years old. Um, and, like, but but I know what you're talking about because my mom, my dad, they never worked until their internships. And they were doctors in the 70s, so this was until they were, like, 25 years old, 26 years old, like, extremely late. Another, an extra 10 years for me. Okay, so what... Okay, so then I, I gotta move on to... a well, from this, where I move on is, like, what other cultural differences have you seen between Canada and Mexico that shock
1: you, kind of like this, but, or whatever, just cultural differences? Well, the first thing, uh, in Mexico, right, we always have like, a few foreigners living in Mexico City, like you get the German family that they, clo- they live close to the German school and whatnot, right? But do not get to see many, foreigners in Mexico City, like living here, yeah, you get to see a few of them. And compared to Canada, if you take the subway, TTC, as they say, like, honestly, everybody's from a different race, language, background, like, uh, different ages. You see, I uh, guess, like, a, um, uh Arab woman, and women that they wear a hijab. You see, like, uh, African people, like, uh, from a completely different culture. Like, uh, you see people, like, wearing all the clothes, like Arabs, like uh, from like Saudis, it's so different, right? You get to see a lot of everything, different cultures in Toronto. It's a really multicultural uh, city and also country. In Mexico, you, get, you didn't get to see that much. You Honestly, one thing about Canadians, they have patience for people who don't speak Spanish, English really well. They honestly let you repeat yourself for the most part. If you are new to the country, they want you to try harder in, in your language. So it's honestly really welcoming at first you see how people they really want to just like uh, have everybody happy and just like uh, succeed in that country right it's honestly so different to mexico city now that i'm back in mexico after eight years in Canada, and this i came back three years ago and after covid you see that mexico is also becoming a country that is multicultural you see a lot of people from from different parts of uh, North America, Europe, that they now live in Mexico, a bunch of Venezuelans, Colombians, Argentinians. So not to that extent, like it's in Canada, but it's a huge uh, culture shock with the US. Go from one country that didn't have many immigrants, come back to uh, my country and see a lot of stuff now that has changed through the years. So that's been quite cool to see. It.
0: Chad, I agree. I, I've noticed that too. You know, I didn't grow up here, but I know that, like, there's a lot of new immigrants and expats and just tourism as a whole remains strong and even like has strength. Okay, that's that's interesting. What other differences have you seen from your childhood in Mexico to like, the, like going to Canada and coming back to Mexico? What changed
1: in Mexico for the time you left? I would say one thing that has really changed is Mexico City, right? I see the city definitely different universe that is more clean there's uh i guess more traffic in a way what else can i say that has changed radically i mean i guess just the immigrants that you can see here like it's honestly breathtaking and honestly this is my point of view right i see mexico as a country that is stable the economy is stable compared to different parts of the world if you don't see the Mexican peso, it's skyrocketing. It's actually having a lot of... Uh, it's actually gaining ground uh, compared to Canadian dollar and also Euro and even the US dollar, right? So I guess the economy, I can see that it's better now in Mexico after being away for so many years, now that like, I'm back. This, I can see the economy is definitely more strong than it has ever been. Yeah, I, I, I think that everyone agrees with that. You know,
0: it's... It's, it's, very, it's a very strong economy, uh, the currency is very strong, yeah, this is uh, very interesting to see, and it's all playing out in real time, right, like, we're all seeing it happening in front of our eyes, like, when I got to Mexico, the, like, two years ago, the Mexican peso, two dollar, was, like, one dollar for 21 pesos, and now it's one dollar for 18 pesos, which means the peso is going up a lot. Okay, that's, uh, that's really cool. So, um, what made you come back from, like, when you were in Canada? I think, like, you kind of settled up there. Did you, you, you thought you were going to stay there, right? So, what made you come back to Mexico after spending eight years in Canada?
1: So, the one thing about Mexico that before I didn't like was that I couldn't be financially independent when I was, like, 18 years old, 20. I mean, it was unthinkable. Right. Why? Because the culture, the system doesn't work that way. So, when I was in Canada, when I was working at age 22, I was like, man, I mean, I'm making enough money to pay my rent, pay for my rent, and also, like, have a decent life that I can use buy my groceries and, you know, like, go out out with my friends, girlfriends, whatnot, with this money that I'm making as a server. That was unthinkable to me. That's, I was like, man, I never want to leave this place because here I have something that my country couldn't offer me when I was... um, in Mexico, right? So, I was like, I want to stay here forever. I pretty much like uh, learned the language quite well. I wasn't really talking Spanish with many people. I only uh, hung out with friends from Canada and different countries. I didn't have many Mexican friends, to be honest. And, Are there um, many Mexicans or? There is. I just, I just didn't really get to see them, right? I wasn't exposed to them. So in university, the my good friend of mine, he's from Venezuela. And besides him, I don't, I didn't know many Latinos other than him, right? So it was great to just like see this lifestyle. I had a girlfriend, and I got a job. You had like security with the uh, rest of your income, your place. You can save some money. So it's like, wow! I mean, I never wanted to use the Canada, but then after like COVID started, I used to work for a mortgage company. I used to be a mortgage officer. I wasn't like signing off the, uh, I guess the, the loan, but I was helping in the process of underwriting the, the property to be, I guess, under a mortgage. And that was pretty cool, but uh, COVID started, and uh, I couldn't really um, go to the office. I couldn't really get to see my friends. Yes, I had more money saved up, but I couldn't really do anything with that money, right? It was pretty much like spent it online, and that's it. I couldn't really do anything. So I was like, man, the one thing that this country has offered me, now it's been taken away from me. Why? Because I used to work at the office for like seven hours and then I was able to just do all my my work in that time. After that, I was working longer hours for the same amount of money and then I didn't really like it anymore. I was like, man, this is just like being in prison. I'm in a house, I'm in a condo, yes, but I cannot do anything with it. Like I mean, I had to be here indoors because people are like so afraid of the government and the government is pushing all these policies that you gotta be Basically, social distance. You gotta use, wear a mask. You cannot do this. You can only do that. So I was like, man, honestly, this is not what I want to use anymore. I spoke to my mom and my dad, and they were like, man, this is honestly something crazy. I would say you should come back to Mexico. And I did. I did come back. But if I, there was a, a low point in my life, was when I left Canada, knowing that I probably was never gonna go back. That was two and a half years ago That was honestly really hard to overcome that was, I was so, so depressed Because I didn't want to be here anymore I wanted to be in Canada
0: And when I had to just leave everything behind And just come back Basically, today's like today's like Friday
1: We were being like, okay This is like uh, Wednesday You're going to fly to Mexico on Saturday So whatever you have is good But you might never have it any, anymore I had to just go back and that's about it We'll see what happens after. So, coming back was honestly really hard, but now here I am. I am more happy than ever. That's great, man. Well, yeah, I,
0: I totally get what you went through because for me, you know, I, I was, I was, it was a bit similar in a way, you know. Uh, but, you know, you, you go from Mexico, which is like a third world country, most would say, to Canada and you find out comfort, like economical comfort, safety, you know, just first world amenities. But then all that gets taken, freedom gets taken away from you. And I think freedom just has no cost and like, it's, it's just worth uh, risking it all for freedom. Um, but but how would you say that when, since you've come back, you've managed to find economical safety for you?
1: When i say prosperity, even? Yeah. So how did that change? So as I said before, I used to work at a, at a company, as a mortgage uh, officer. I couldn't do anything with that money because you couldn't go to restaurants, you couldn't go to bars, you had to use like a delivery for food, so you honestly, well, I was saving a lot of money compared to my spending, right? So I was, okay, I'm going to go back to Mexico, and when I was in Mexico, I wanted to use buy Bitcoin. I was like, okay, I want to use buy Bitcoin, but how do I do it in this country? I had no clue. I didn't know about uh, exchanges at the time. You ask people, and they want to sell it to you. They don't want to just tell you how to get it. want to use make a profit from you right it's like okay so eventually i heard about this bitcoin atm that was in mexico city i was like okay i'm gonna go check it out so i went to that bitcoin atm and i noticed that they had so many deficiencies that bitcoin atm wasn't really giving a good service that I, i would a service that i would think was good maybe they did but i didn't like it that much i was like okay so this is an opportunity for me I can probably be the guy who actually sells Bitcoin to foreign to, to Mexicans and buys from immigrants or from foreigners. I can be the guy making this transaction. So that's, that's when everything started right. I, I wanted to just uh, try something new and imagine I didn't know what Bitcoin was or I heard of it. But then after a few months, I just jumped all the way in and I decided to use buy Bitcoin ATMs. That's basically how the Economic Prosperity started for me. That's great. Yeah, well, so just for the
0: listeners, Pablo is, a, is an entrepreneur in Bitcoin TMs, runs a company uh, called CryptoFlamingo.io, uh, and he's one of the main operators, or the main operator, of Bitcoin TMs in Mexico at this
1: point. How many machines do you have in the country? so we have like 43 45 more or less it's hard to say because quite a few are OTC deals that they don't have a machine but they are listed as if they had a machine so you can say give and take 43 in 43, the whole country 43 but you would no but that's like for the whole country for the whole country and how many you have i have five I five, has machines, five so i pretty much so you can say that i run like 12 percent of the whole crypto the teams in the whole nation so it's a decent number that's that's great. Yeah, it's definitely a decent number. Where are those uh, machines located? Okay? We have one right here in Querétaro at the HEB store in Huriquilla. That's uh, a store that, well, basically, that's a machine that was launched in Ju- Ju- June 2022. We have one in Carmen on the Fifth Avenue, pretty close to Coco Bongo, inside of the Why Not Hostel. Right, right we, down have, down. we have one in Cancun inside of Venado uh, Ocho Hostel. We have the, the first location, which was in Mexico City, which is uh, my parents' uh, clinic, and then the last location that we launched, it was at H.E.V. store in uh, San Pedro Garza Garcia, Nuevo León, Montaño. that's also inside of an H.E.V. store. That's great, yeah. For those that don't know San Pedro, uh,
0: San, Garcia, San Pedro Garza Garcia, Garza Garcia is like the most prestigious neighborhood in the country, probably in the continent, uh, the most wealthy
1: people live there. People really say that uh, that uh, that's the most I guess uh, in Latin America is the most wealthy neighborhood in the whole of Latin America, right? Yeah. So it's quite good. Yeah, that's great. And
0: I didn't quite get. Uh, so you, how did you first hear or
1: get into Bitcoin? Was it through the ATMs or was it before or after? So I pretty much um, people talk about Bitcoin all, uh, everywhere, right? It was like a, a like really common word to just listen to at the office and uh, at the park, at the grocery store in Canada, So, but I didn't really know how to buy it, people buy about it, but they don't even know what's the meaning of it, what's the purpose of it, what does it do, how do you, how do you get it, so that was really hard for me to just like uh, understand how can I buy Bitcoin, so when I was in Mexico I wanted to just buy it, but I didn't know how, I had no idea how to use do it. Well, i did do some research, and I have a friend who told me, man, if you have um, cash in Mexico City, you can actually buy Bitcoin from Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin ATMs. There's a couple in Mexico City at the time. So I went to that store, and that's basically how I got started into this business, and that was maybe like in May 2020. Okay, okay. I, I see. But, but you, already,
0: you weren't back yet, you were still in Canada.
1: I came back from Canada in April,
0: 2020. Okay, right, like very quickly. So you, the, the COVID started and you just stay there for like a month, two months, and then you were like,
1: I'm not gonna stay in
0: this for longer.
1: it was horrible. I, I remember I was skiing, uh, maybe like mid-March in 2020 in Alberta. When I came back, everything was like honestly so different. The city was like a town. People were like, uh, honestly, I mean, I used to work, I used to work to work writing the financial district, which is the economical cap- capital of canada on a thursday at, at 8 a.m it was honestly a ghost town everything was shut down there was no coffee shops open you could see like literally like five people walking in the buildings maybe the concierge maybe the security guy and that's about it it was honestly scary you can you can use you yeah. i was able to just feel the the fear people were like actually so 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 afraid of life at the time that was crazy
0: that was well, crazy like i was not at all scared of covid but uh, people made me so scared because they were they were crazy people went crazy and i think people are still crazy i think things never changed i think they, i mean they changed and they never changed back i think people just went completely crazy and and still kind of there okay so we covered canada we covered Uh, So talk to us a bit more about uh, like the Bitcoin ATM business, so like maybe we can go we can start But like what are the main challenges in in running a Bitcoin ATM
1: business in Mexico? Well, the first part of it is uh, bureaucracy. Here in Mexico, regulation for Bitcoin is not quite clear People don't really know how can you pay taxes if you made a profit by trading Bitcoin There's no regulation for that in, in place as of yet so that's the hardest part ever because you have money going in and out your bank account. So the government is like, okay, you have money coming in and out, so you're definitely making some money. Okay, but how do you declare that money in case you don't want to be shut down, right? So you really got to be patient, you really got to find out an accountant that is going to do it under something different, but it's the closest to Bitcoin. So you really got to just like find it out first. That's the first thing that has been a challenge. The second part is trying to get the government purpose government here in Mexico, as I said before, they don't have regulation in place as of yet, but it's an, a cash-intensive business, which means, in Spanish, una actividad vulnerable, which is a vulnerable activity, in which you are basically under scrutiny of the government because you, they say that you could be like doing money laundering, which is honestly nonsense, in my opinion, but they say that you could be very well doing this activity. Right, right. So. Trying to use like work with the banks and see which banks will allow it has been a challenge as well. Also trying to have a a corporation, how do you actually, which corporation is the one that you should be having in case you want to be in this business isn't a challenge. Also like uh, all the newspapers that uh, when they, when they find out that you have a Bitcoin ATM, they will come talk to you. Sometimes they want to use not your insights. They want to also like ask you, hey, how do you own your business? Because They either want to just get on that on that business too because they think that it's honestly so profitable, or because they really want just want to just like uh, find out how does it work with with the regulation in place and whatnot. So how do you do it? It's basically really, really a really common question to be asked. Okay, so also like the wallets man, people. I mean, you might think, and I've been hearing about this from different different teams in the United States. How their bank account gets shut down because they don't want to do anything with crypto. But you wouldn't believe it that uh, the wallets that I have used for my Bitcoin ATMs, they have been shut down by the company itself with no explanation. Apparently, they're supposed to have these wallets in place for people to have ATMs, but they just shut them down for no reason, right? So that's honestly also being crazy because the money that I had there is basically still there. I cannot have it back. So it's like I tried to just reach out to them, but they just wouldn't the get back to me. So it's been a challenge as well in that part. It's a very challenging business it seems. Like you because first of all you're dealing with cash,
0: you're dealing with hardware, you're dealing with physical locations. And the volatility the government. Excuse me.
1: The volatility for Bitcoin. The prices go up and down like crazy. For sure, you gotta manage that. The software, the, the wallets. Okay, so let's
0: let's maybe go one by one. Uh, let's first talk about like the, the regulations. So so, like, like I, I still don't get how, like, Bitcoin ATMs are regulated. I, I kind of get how, like, exchanges are through the fintech license law. Uh, and for those that want to know more about this, I wrote an article on my Substack, Bitcoin how Bitcoin in Mexico adoption is going. I go into a bit of more into details about that. But can you share, I, I also guess that it's part of the, Trades, secrets, it's how the regulation works because this is how it works in Mexico. If you know how to work with the government, you have the advantage. But what can you share about that? Or maybe what's your opinion a little bit more into detail about the regulation or just the exchange and the fintech regulation, too?
1: So, for example, fintech like Bitso, that's a completely different regulation. Why? Because Bitso, they buy, sell, but they also keep, they store your coins and your fiat money. On their servers so they basically have your money under, under their possession right so they are regulated by vintage laws in mexico
0: which are really hard to get only a few companies have well have been able to just be granted
1: that license that's the first things first but that law doesn't apply to me why because i don't store any any money from the clients i basically whenever they buy they get their money right away. And whenever they sell, they get their cash almost immediately. It had needs to have some time, maybe like 10 to 15 minutes, but after that time, their money is basically theirs again. So I don't store that that kind of money. That's why I don't have to be regulated by Finch's laws in Mexico. That's the first thing. But as I mentioned before, this is a cash-intensive business in which you are going to be asked, okay, where is the cash coming from? How do you get this, this much cash? I mean, where is all this... Um, coming from. So you got to apply for a permit with the WIF, which is in Spanish, the acronym for Unidad de Investigación Financiera. Why? Because... Just going to say that in English it would be a
0: Financial Investigation Unit.
1: That's right. In Canada we have the FCIU, which is the Financial financial Crimes Investigation Unit. It would be the equivalent of that entity in Mexico. Okay. Okay. So you got to get a permit from them? Basically, as I said before, regulation is really imprecise. So you, yeah. you have to just like send documentation that you're doing this kind of business in case in the future they have some questions about yourself, about your business. Okay, so you only got a file that, hey,
0: by the way, you guys should be aware that I'm doing this mm-hmm. in case there's an issue in the future,
1: I can always say like, ah, but I already told you guys I'm doing this. I was kind of like that. That's the first thing. Then they're going to take a few months, when I mean a few months, I mean like 10 months, to revise your documents and get back to you. And then, if they don't understand your, basically, business, or how does it work, they might say, okay, I don't understand this precisely. you got to explain to me in detail your process as to how you actually running your business. And once you, have an, once you they understand that, they can give you an approval. They have to give you approval if you, basically, meet the requirements of the export, which is just like a, you know, regular stuff that like you gotta be a citizen of Mexico, you gotta have a corporation, you gotta have a proper company that is being assigned by another in which saying that you can you can do this on your articles of incorporation, you know, that kind of stuff. That's really standard but right. you really need to have this in place. Okay, I, I understand. It's basically just traditional of license, that's paperwork. That's used, like, that license that you have to be at least 18 years old you need to be in mexico you need to have a Exactly. yeah that's basically how it is but, but it's, it's like that. that i think it's like that for a lot of
0: industries in mexico that which is not in canada in the us like you gotta ask you there's a, just a lot of paperwork to file for any sorts of business here which is the way in my opinion this is my opinion but i think you would agree it's the way for those in power to remain in power by just making it hard to do business but they for them it's super easy because they they, they got the people in the government on their side
1: right absolutely when they when they read the laws they also know how to just bypass the laws and as a regular citizen you need to just know how to actually can use uh that law that you actually have been you might be falling under right so it's pretty it's pretty weird to just do i mean honestly i am a, an economist and just like reading these Legal documents, it's so dense. Even though Spanish is my first language, I have a hard time understanding whatever they have to say because it's really complicated language. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard that too. I've heard that laws here are written in a very
0: complicated language, so that normal people get up, understanding, and only those drafting the laws understanding. It. Yeah, it's it's, part of, it's it's classic red tape strategies, so that it's hard to do business. But I mean, some people just
1: operate outside of the law, too, right? That's true. I mean, I wouldn't do that because, you know, in Mexico and in many parts of the world, being under the legal framework is what you should do. And I do. Right. But the thing is, it's really complicated. And, uh, you know, you see like as uh, so many casas de cambio, which are like a place where you change one currency for the other. I've been trying to just like get the documentation because I would fall under that law in a way. Not specifically, but I would fall under that screening. And uh, you get to see how many people, they just run that business and they have no permit at all. So it's, as you said before, some people, they just choose not to just obey the law and they pretty pretty much just like do it. And nothing happens. that's right so some people actually have uh, been accused of that so i mean some people do it but it's it's a really dense uh, subject in which uh, you can fall but um the best thing is to use try to get your approval and work without scrutiny because that's basically how it is right but I'm for sure for sure some yeah. people want to use it so there's just more... risk and
0: also moral questions and, you know it's a whole pandora box uh, to discuss about operating of the law but i'm just it's, it's a reality at the end of the day that it's, it's like people don't do this in Canada but they do this a lot here
1: well here I mean imagine a country that has 125 million people plus and then a government agencies like a sat which is I guess they don't have enough people to just like a, even do their regular you know renew your RFC or everything right maybe your electronic sign whatever. They have a lot of people that want to just, they're backlogged, they don't have enough people, right? Right. So imagine these people that are already backlogged and doing this, the stuff that they're good at. They want to just start something new and embrace that new subject. Like a Casa de Cambio and they want to just like regulate all of them. It's nearly impossible. Exactly. When they have to nearly do cash. Exactly. The government is just too inefficient.
0: Like you said, like some people might not be aware of this, but like the government is not even able to process... Regular tax filings and like number elements and very simple stuff. So how are
1: they gonna get all this? Right? So in Mexico, right? I mean, listen to this. So whenever you file your taxes, this is there's a lag of two years before they actually know if you actually file your taxes from twenty 2020, twenty in twenty twenty three. It takes two years to review your tax filings. Wow, <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy.
0: <laughs> so like they just don't know for two years. You could be you could be living in. Philippines, you you could do whatever, right? Okay, yeah. Well, I feel I think people that are listening will be glad to hear this because me and the other people that uh, I, I'm friends with or that follow me, we we prefer inefficient governments, right? Rather than like very strong controlling governments, like in Canada, because in Canada it's, it's the other
1: way around. The government is, for the most part, very efficient. I mean, you think it is, but I mean, they also have efficiencies because they cannot control everything. No, for sure. But they try harder, and they are definitely more successful in Canada compared to Mexico. Here in Mexico, people, some people don't really want to use pay taxes, right? I mean, they don't really fall for taxation because there is no need to. In Canada, for the most part, like 90% of the population, they do fall for taxation on a yearly basis. Yeah. And because you see like block, um, what's it called? Block...
0: HR Blogger, you know, the camping services that you can see over pretty every shopping mall.
1: They have quite a few of them in the country, right? Because it's basically like. If people do. People actually file for taxation and then you get a tax back. Here in Mexico, you don't get anything back. Maybe you even know them, right? So why would you actually try to just put that, put yourself into that situation? You prefer to just avoid it. You, you cannot get tax, run. right? You can, but it's not like the regular citizen gets it, right? It's way more complicated here than it is in Canada. They might just keep the money.
0: Yeah, they prefer, I mean, they prefer <laughs> they, to use, not doing that. Right, so people just, will just not do it. Yeah, I think it's one out of two Mexican workers still today that doesn't pay taxes, but it's because they operate in the informal economy, like cash only, you know, like people selling tacos on the street. They're obvious, but this is very different from, like, Bitcoin ATMs, Like
1: Absolutely, look, it would be like a tianguis, like a farmers market in Mexico. Yeah. If you actually are strict about the language, it would be like a great market. Why? Because they actually use banknotes from Mexico, which which are issued by the Central Bank of Mexico. Mm-hmm. But whatever they sell, which is like food for the most part, like uh, old furniture or uh, like even old clothes, like uh, vegetables, like uh, eggs, like tacos as you mentioned, like different kind of food for the most part, they are not regulated by anybody. That would be like a that's why it wouldn't be like a white market. It would be like a like a grey one because whatever they sell it's legal but it's not really overseed by any Right, entity. you're just allowed to sell food without any regulation. And you can see that that happens from Tijuana all the way to Cosmo in Mexico, right? That's basically I guess in Latin America that's yeah, a really like culture of the day. There's
0: always someone on the street selling food or, or some bullshit, you know, sometimes they're selling like decorations or like very useless like candy, stuff. like lollipops and like that yeah. stuff or like uh, peanuts you can buy almost anything well, I used it before almost in every corner in this country there's people selling stuff yeah, but it shows the strength of the entrepreneurial culture even though it's like very bad entrepreneurship because like these people sometimes cannot even like write it still shows that they're trying to, to, to do something you know? Absolutely. So they're not just sitting on their asses waiting for something
1: to be handed out they're they doing something. Yeah. That was part of Mexico, right? That here, like, you can actually be an entrepreneur if you sell lollipops on the on the street. In Canada, like four years old. Yeah. <laughs> in Canada, right? I mean, if you try to do it in Toronto, you will be shut down right away by the city because you don't have a city permit to sell lemonade on the streets. That's how ridiculous
0: that yeah, country is. I think I think there was a story about something like that happening. Yeah. Uh, crazy. Okay. Uh, Okay, so let's come back a little bit from the starting point, which was challenges of running Bitcoin ATMs in Mexico. So the first one was the government. So how does the banking go? So like, I heard like, like very recently in the US, there were a few friendly crypto banks, Silvergate, Signature, like they've all been bank run and shut down over the last week. And I've been talking to a few Bitcoin CEOs and entrepreneurs, mostly running companies in the U.S. or internationally, and this is a disaster. Everybody's having an extremely hard time, not sleeping, on the phone 24-7. So how is it here? Is it, is it, is this having an impact on the Mexican market? Was it always hard to get a bank account? How, how,
1: how's the banking? Okay, perfect. So in Canada, right, whenever you have a corporation, I'm gonna ask you, okay, what's your line of business? What do you do? Okay, well, I import and sell stuff. Okay, give me your license to import and export and that kind of that kind of stuff. Maybe you're a restaurant. Okay, show me that you actually are a restaurant. Where's the office? And they go and the bank actually goes and just like takes a look to your office or whatever you are. So in Canada and I guess in the United States, they have a it's called KYC, know your customer. Before they give you an approval for a bank account, they want to just know what is it that you do for, for for, money, right, for work. Here in Mexico, luckily when I applied for a couple banks as a corporation, they didn't even ask me what my line of business was. So, in that regards, they don't really know that I do Bitcoin. They, it's not that they have asked me, right, so I haven't told them, and they're okay with it. So, I would say... Friendly-wise for Bitcoin ATMs, it is, but you need to have a proper company, a proper corporation, which is a SAPI, which is an acronym for Sociedad Anónima Promotora de Inversión. That means that this company can just like a, a um, can just like receive funds from individual to individuals for different business purposes. It can be cash. That's why you you are allowed to have these cash deposits in such large amounts at these banks because. The company itself is is basically designed for this to be done. So in Mexico, I haven't had a problem with, uh, with, the, with the banks at all. But that's because they don't ask, what do I do? Because they don't have to know. They don't even really have that regulation in place in the first place. Interesting. So because
0: this country, there's just so much cash around, it's easier to get cash into the banking system. Because in Canada, for example, getting cash into the banking system it's hard because like nobody uses cash who are you using cash are you doing something sketchy right but here it's so common that
1: just cash is in and out in the banking system without a problem apparently and this is what the government said right if you have a deposit for a bank account that is under someone's name if you deposit more than fifteen thousand mexican pesos that month you automatically have to be actually investigated as to where the money is coming from They say that that's basically what the government says But imagine Mexico is a country that has the most cash in the streets Just after India Do you think the government has enough control to just regulate every single account and just know what's happening? It's impossible What do I do to avoid this trouble because I do take cash deposits? First of all, as I said before, I have a corporation. That corporation is a SAPI, which allows you to use, uh, uh, basically get funds from customers for business purposes, and it can be cash. That's the legal tender in Mexico. That's the first thing. Second thing, I file for taxation on a monthly basis, and I always pay taxes. That means that I'm making a profit, and that would be if I can be audited, the government wants to, meet, wants me, wants to audit me, but I have connection that they have said, man, if you pay taxes for whatever line of business that you're doing, don't worry, because the government wants more money. They're going to just go after the the, compa- the, the companies or the people who actually have cash deposits and they never fight for taxation, because they don't know what's happening with that, right? Right. But if you fight for taxation and you say that you're doing this,
0: they are not going to give you a hard time, because they want you to just keep doing that business, because it's giving them a profit
1: as well. So in a way... In a way, you, if you pay taxes, you're avoiding investigation just because you're paying taxes. That's right, because you're doing it right. And uh, the government, what they want is, they want to go after people who pay taxes before, but they stopped, but they still have that activity.
0: If you can be a doctor and you haven't paid taxes in a couple of years, they're going to come ask you, okay, what's happening? Because I still see movement in your bank account. What's happening?
1: Why did our revenue stop? That's right. That's basically it, right? So in order to avoid that, just always pay taxes. If you, of course, if you made a profit, that's the the, the best way to avoid any hassle. Right, right. Is to do this. Okay, okay, I, mean,
0: I understand. Okay, interesting. Uh, but I guess okay. So just back to a bit, back to the banking. Um, I guess it would just be uh, like if for Bitso, for example, if someone wants to launch a Bitso competitor, Bitso, by the way, for those listening, it's the biggest exchange in, in Mexico and Latin America. If someone wants to launch a competitor, they have to have a very solid bank partner because they have to. Money is not not just cash, it's literally wires and deposits with a Bitcoin tag onto it, right? Because not a Bitcoin tag, but like a Bitcoin exchange tag to it. So then it's different, right?
1: Mm -hmm. So Bitso. Bitso is a huge company in Mexico, but they're, I don't even know how, but they have bypassed a law. How? That their servers and part of their operation is not happening in this country. So, whenever you're sending money, you're sending money in this country. But I don't even know how this works, but it's basically being actually like, I don't even know if it's possible to say this, but they don't run the operation fully in Mexico. And by doing this and doing it, uh, this overseas, that deal is bypass regulation. Yeah. Well, actually, I've looked
0: into this and this is the standard way this is once again this is how big mexico is a sketchy place uh, it's that it's a loophole the bank central bank says uh, companies cannot operate like the exchanges cannot operate in mexico but a foreign exchange can deal with mexicans so what you do is you set up a payment processor under the fintech license law and you bridge The the customer, let's say me, Gustavo Flores, sends an SPE, a transfer to uh, the, let's say, let's call it the Bitso uh, Payments. Uh, It's actually Novi Inc. I guess, sends to Novi Inc. And you can read this in the the legal terms. (laughs) Uh, And then Novi Inc. is just a payment processor that sends the money to Bitso in Gibraltar. Gibraltar. And And Bitso in Gibraltar sells the Bitcoin to Gustavo Flores in Mexico so technically a mexican corporation never interface with bitcoin it only interface with the banking system nationally and internationally and for that you need a fintech license and that's basically the loophole to run bitcoin exchanges in mexico so Bitsu does that but everybody at this point is going to do that everybody that wants to launch in this country is going to do that i think ripio does that at this point too, Bola BIT too. And everyone else that's coming is going to do it this way i have approached lawyers very respected and like very cost lawyers
1: because lawyers and they've told me this is the way this is the way we, we gotta do it it's a loophole it's honestly crazy i mean it's so expensive to run a business in mexico for that kind of entity so like imagine how much money you had to get maybe they had to send their wires i don't know maybe like every every hour or so to gibraltar for them to work here in mexico so it's not a simple business to run, right? I mean it's definitely a lot of disadvantages. And then also if you take account the volatility, man, I don't even and they charge honestly as a small spread. I don't know how they run it, but they're actually quite good. I mean it was it's been told that So is a unicorn, meaning that they have made so much money as a first company that it's actually like uh really well spoken about them. Yeah,
0: it's worth uh, for more than a billion dollars, I think two point one. Um, okay so the way they do it is they just raise more money they are not profitable or they're very barely profitable but they can convince investors hey give us 300 million dollars we'll survive on that money we'll market and grow on that money and once we have the whole market then we'll raise prices then we'll be profitable like Uber, like, yeah, like the classic uh, Silicon Valley startup model, mm-hmm. which has changed, right? Because now interest rates are higher. So it's the, the, the BC and the investment landscape has changed, but that, that's the so bits, bits strategy. And it's the case for, for many others. Okay, so um, back to the Bitcoin TMs once again, uh, just, just gonna close on the, on the challenges. So like how like is it how long do the machines last? Is the, do they broke down often? I really want to just ask about the hardware.
1: So the first machine that I got was a Genesis coin model. I think it's a Satoshi, if you can't remember the name of it. Anyways, it's a machine that is not really uh,
0: good looking. It's actually quite old and doesn't really look at building. It's honestly
1: yes, a Robocop machine. Honestly <laughs> it's not really that nice to a TSC. But the machine works. The machine was built in 2014, and that machine actually still runs on a computer with Windows XP. So it's a really, really old-fashioned, but it works, right? It does the thing. So machines can last. That's pretty much like uh, nine years old since the machine was built, and it's still running, right? The machine has broken down so many times. That machine is, um, I guess, operational, but I rarely use it, because it always breaks down. So that machine is just a hook for me to get customers. Whenever the customer comes in, I just do with them an OTD transaction. That machine is never used. I would say I probably like have used it in the past couple of years. Maybe, maybe the top like 40 times, which is like once every two weeks. That's really used. The machines that I have in the other four locations Those machines are way more, are newer. Those machines are general advice. BATM4 is the model.
0: That model was launched, I think, in 2021.
1: So that model is way more fancy. It's definitely more appealing. And that machine, I have uh, had a machine, the first machine that I got for a year and a half, and it hasn't broken a single time. It hasn't broken down. It's still working. It's still operational. It hasn't given me a hard time. The thing about, uh, I guess, the the hardware the machine definitely as it's in Cancun which is they have a lot of uh, humidity it's getting rusty in a way from the outside so you have to protect the machine how do you protect it you put like layers of uh, different uh, logos or like stickers or whatever for that to be the one taking the hit and not the machine itself but uh, machines can last for a long time and it's really well known in the crypto world that if you want to buy a second hand kind of machine it's good because those machines were built to last. For the most part, Bytes and Genesis Coins are the machines that I recommend because they do work. But if you were to ask me which company is the better, I would say Bytes, hands down. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I, I had no idea that machines lasted
0: so long. But when they break down, like how's the breaking down? Is it a, Is
1: it because a piece has to be replaced? Is mostly that? For example, uh, let's say the machine that the machine that I have, they're two-way machines, right? So. If one piece is broken, the machine is gonna just like by design stop working entirely. So let's say the machine, uh, the one that accepts um, the banknotes. If the machine is not properly set up, that machine is not gonna take any new banknotes. Meaning that only old versions of banknotes will be ta- will be taken. And let's say one bill gets basically jammed into the bill acceptor. Then that machine is not good until somebody uh, comes in. They have to just open them with the bill acceptor and take that bill out of them. So that's really complicated. Also, if catch the cash dispenser unit uh, breaks down, the machine is not going to work for either buy or sell. How do I overcome this? Luckily, I have a friend who works at a bank, and whenever my machine broke down, I was like, "Man, I need to. I need you to give me a phone number for any technician that uh, the bank sends to fix their ATMs, You have to know somebody that knows somebody. Or maybe you can see the guy walking in to the branch. you got to tell me something about it. So this guy said, like, OK, yes. I found the number of this guy who actually works as a technician. So whenever the machines break down, the bank calls them, and he just like goes and just fixes the machine. So when the machine broke down, I had to just contact this guy. And yes, he was the one who fixed it. But man, I mean, this is such a niche product that you cannot use like Google like, hey, uh, Bitcoin ATM technician for like machines being broken down, <laughs> you cannot find anything. So you really gotta be in this kind of business, really creative in regards to how to fix your stuff that is broken. Because if you ask regular guys, they will not, they will, they don't have an idea. It's not like a mechanic that just like goes to the shop and gets a car fixed. It's a completely different level. Interesting. So, but but
0: it's it's kind of the same to bank ATMs. Uh, so this way, that's This, this fixes it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Interesting. Uh, but it's like i never thought of that you know because well i've never been in that situation but it's, it's just something that you, it requires creativity like you said it's just like a, hey like you just yeah. gotta connect the dots right okay interesting okay cool and uh, and the software part like how's how's that going I mean, is that
1: is there problems in there like as of now i only take a uh, btc for either buy or sell options but i really want to use like a uh launch USDT. USDT is a stablecoin that you may know that has parity or yeah. used to have parity with uh, the American dollar. So mm-hmm. I want to sell that one, but like creating the interface and getting the APIs key set up and uh, having that to be launched in my machines has been a nightmare. I have tried to do everything possible, but uh, even the com- the company itself, they go back to me and say that I had to use wait until a new, upgrade is available for this to work on my ATMs. And I'm like, man, I don't understand. This makes no sense. Because different ATMs in Mexico that have the same model that I do are already selling selling this coin. How can I do it? And it's honestly so bureaucratic that they don't even know what to respond to me. So even though I wasn't, I guess, a software engineer, the coding process, I'm getting a little bit better as to how it's done and how to set up these wallets and uh, for them to work. But this one has been a nightmare. I can say that I have tried for the last couple, I guess, the last three weeks, every single day how to get this fixed, and I still have, I don't have an answer. So it's a challenge. And also, I haven't mentioned this before, but um, a wallet that is the, is the one in charge that I pay a service for, that disperses the funds and receives the funds from my Bitcoin ATMs, they shut down, um, well, basically, they shut my account, my account, it's locked. So I have money, I have still some BTC still there stuck, and they wouldn't get back to me, right? It's a kind of funny story, so let me explain to this why. Yeah. So there was, a, maybe like a month and a half ago, I was uh, just like a day, just like working, and then I noticed that uh, customers say like, hey, I want to use buy um, Bitcoin, but the machine says that they don't have enough liquidity. I was like, that's all, because it was, I sent the money today. Yeah, well, trade on yourself. So I tried it myself and then I tried to go online and just look at my balance at my balance and it said like account locked. I was like, man, what's happening with this account? What's happening? Let me just try to just see if I can understand what's happening. So it wasn't working. Long story short, I had to create a new account with that same company to just like be able to use have my business running again. I had to just do all that process. At the end of the day, I was able to use Do It, but I was still asking for some questions. They were like, Man, why did you guys shut down my account with no explanation? I need help, I need to know what's happening. But most importantly, you guys need to have my account unlocked ASAP because that's my business and that's how I make a living. Like five days went by, and they were like, Oh, your account is back online. I was like, Okay, guys, this, this is actually can be serious. You gotta tell me, Why did you actually do it? And what guarantees do i have that this is not going to happen again and they just never go back to me so a month went by and then the credit card payment for the other account that i signed up for kicks in again i'm super mad and i'm like okay guys this is actually ridiculous you guys haven't gotten back to me in over a week you guys haven't had a courtesy to get back to me with some answers about this and now i am being charged again for this service that I paid for a secondary account because the first one was locked for no reason in the first place. So maybe like five minutes went by and then I see the credit card payment for that transaction, uh, for that wallet for that month was reversed. So I was like, okay, that's good, I guess. I won't be charged for this uh, for this month. I took my account, so I guess if I don't have an answer, I'm okay with this because they didn't want to charge me and I already have that account already working again. And guess what? I tried to go back to my first wallet and it's, it was locked again. So, long story short, the guys locked my account. I complained, they unlocked it, and then because I complained because they didn't get back to me in time and I was charged again, they locked it again. So, I was like, man, I don't even know. It's like a little kid who's playing soccer, and uh, whenever he's playing soccer against
0: somebody else, and they don't like the outcome of the game niggas take the ball and run home because i don't want to continue playing with you mm-hmm. that's basically what's happening with these guys so
1: it's been frustrating
0: luckily i have changed that uh, with a totally different company but man i still want to get that
1: btc back so they stole Bitcoin from you absolutely they did and uh,
0: do you want to name them do you want to share the name it's blog.io so people listening don't use blog.io they, they are scammers, scammers. so I, honestly I think block.io and many of these wallets, custodial wallets, these are custodial wallets, API services for custodial wallets, kind of like BitGo. I think they're not very profitable. So, like, they launched maybe in 2015, and, you know, they, they just have to run a website and server, but they're not making a lot of money, and so maybe they just, you know, don't have a lot of people on the payroll, so support is really bad. Maybe they, I don't know if they intentionally stole your funds, but I. Maybe maybe it wasn't. Maybe just everybody's just so incompetent and just not present that like it happens, you know. Uh but definitely very bad, very bad for their reputation. Well but I've I've never heard of them, you know. I, I just think they're an outdated op- option that remains on the ATM dashboards. Because these, these dashboards that have to run your ATMs, they're kinda of old, right? Like they're they don't seem very updated, they don't seem very, like they're very niche, you know, there doesn't seem to be a lot of information out there nobody's talking about this, it's very just ATM
1: operators Well, let's say when well, you see a restaurant, right, they have social media presence they want to just be known by, I guess, potential customers and their customers they have a Google review, they have a Google uh, listing they have uh, Instagram, they post photos, Blontada.io is always company that they don't have any sort of communication or an uh, email you want to get uh, just like email them. It's on their website, and they will beg like, get back to you whenever they feel like it. So they don't have a presence on social media. It's definitely a more business-to-business, um, I guess, like a uh, company. They don't really care about uh, their feedback because you cannot do anything about their feedback. You cannot like complain. Yeah. Uh, you cannot put like a like a like a like a bad review on Google. They don't have anything like this, right? Just so niche. It's so
0: niche. So that so like the only people that are gonna. Ask. Pay them, it's gonna it's because you see them as an option. Like you saw them, you didn't know them, you just saw them as
1: an option in your like ATM network, right? That's the thing, right? So I didn't know anything about that one. I like, okay, well, it seems to be a decent service that it works, so it's the company, EuroBytes, you know, is offering it. I like guess it's, it's not expensive? Yeah, just go ahead. Right. And I went ahead and honestly, it's been tough. You should tell General to stop the I think it will. That's a good option, man. I haven't, I didn't think about that
0: before. Okay, well, sorry for that, everyone. We just got a little lost connection, so, but now we're back. So I was uh, talking with Pablo about the challenges of running Bitcoin ATMs in Mexico, uh, and we were finishing talking about the the hard, the software and the wallet partners. So, is there anything else you want to mention, Pablo, about the challenges or difficulties, anything you or just things you? problems you're having with this before we move on to to another subject?
1: I guess it would be everything. I mean, it's kind of tough, but uh, as you learn on the go, there's definitely a solution to that problem, right? So, maybe you contribute this first, but then after you're going to contribute a solution Mm -hmm. as well. So that's basically something that I can just say that, yes, it's a challenge, but definitely if you keep going, and if you actually put enough effort, there will be a solution straight ahead of you. For sure, for sure.
0: Uh, it's, it's like that, right? Entrepreneurship is about failing and trying things and finding solutions to problems. And, and you know, you, you just, the next day, you're always going to have a new problem, but you're always going to have a new, a new solution. That's just part of, the, the way it goes, right? Is this like your first business? Is this the, your intro into entrepreneurship, or have you done other businesses in the past? No, not really. When I
1: was 19 years old after high school, my brother opened up at Taco stand New Mexico City. So after a few months, he well, a couple, I guess a few weeks, he was busy with school. He was an architect. He was in that uh, in Yale university at the time. So he like, okay, man, I have way too much work to just do and handle this business. So I guess it's better if you take over. So I didn't start the Taj stand, but I'm the guy who actually just continued Taj stand. Okay, I see. That was a challenge, honestly, man, because the food was too good, and guess what, I ate the most of it. It's not the customers, right? So I was getting a lot of weight. So that's why after six months of having that business, I got shot down entirely. I mean, I didn't know what I was doing. I was so young. Having a restaurant, it's honestly a pain in the ass. It's so hard to just run. Um, you know, inventory is actually hard to just uh, handle. Employees, I mean, that was honestly, I was, too, I, was too, I was too young and it was too hard to be honest. So that's the first business that I. Ever had, and I guess I will never have a business again when it comes to food. I don't like uh, food businesses; it's way too much work for that tiny
0: profit it's, that you it's make. So it's such a little profit, you know. There's there's a few like food restaurant food restaurants chains that make money, very few, and like ninety percent of them make little to no money, and there's just a lot of effort, you know, the hours to the- the staff, we didn't have a lot of people Staff
1: because kitchen, cleaning, dishwashing, honestly, it's like running the place. oh my god, it's honestly yeah. like a sniper. I don't want to just think about anything but that, but like, man, running a business, when it comes to food, it's honestly hard. Yeah, I, I
0: can imagine. Okay. Um, well, I think we, we kind of summed up uh, the, the topic about Bitcoin ETMs, maybe something that... Uh, what, what, what should people expect from Crypto Flamingo in the future? What are the next moves or like projects you, you guys are working on or you are working on uh, for the next couple of years?
1: Definitely have an expansion. This business has to continue to grow. This business has continued to grow, Quality has to be in, a, in an appropriate way. What do I mean by this? I mean that this business has to continue to grow, but have the liquidity and great service that we offer currently to our customers. Because if you go to one of our machines here in Querétaro, the machine has liquidity as few as in Cancun or in Mexico City. right? So having that like logistics problem, we don't have any. We are definitely running smoothly. We are definitely asking for more customers to just like, uh, come take Outdoor our machines because they're awesome, they're really stylish, and they have liquidity. They fix a the problem. And if they ever face a problem with the machine, they have a, a customer service phone number or WhatsApp number they can scan with their camera, and it would be, basically, you can send the WhatsApp message to us like, in time. So they can continue to use, expect this great service that we offer, but at more locations in Mexico.
0: Yeah, I think it's really just about locations, right? I think mean, I have many locations all the time. It's the only way to scale up this business, because, like, fees are already kind of high compared to, and they're justified because it's, it's no KYC and it's cash, and it's like hardware business so, so it's justified but like cannot like raise prices even more uh, so you just gotta scale up in, in locations right and there's only a physical limit to how much money you can enter one ATM. so you just gotta have more and more etms multiple, multiple. you know where i think would be a great hit uh i think the best would be to just like get all the expat spots like one in puerto Escondido. One in uh, San Miguel de Allende, one in uh, Sayulita, you know, all these towns that are like full of expats because that's where all my Bitcoin friends hang out. Like my, my Bitcoiners friends live in those cities. So that's why I'm sharing this to you because I'm, I'm sure it's, it, it could work in those I think you, you mentioned not during the podcast, but to me, that Cancun is probably your best location. Yes, it, it is. And that's, I'm guessing that's because of the tourism, right?
1: That's right, so we good thing about this business, or in Mexico, in a way, As we know the the, the world is like upside down. We know that people are, are seeking comfort and security in a place like Mexico, which it's out here, well, it was yeah, out so here maybe like 15 years ago, right. but now it is like so common, right? So they want to just uh, change their euros or like uh, their, their rupees, the rubles, into Mexican pesos. How and what's the easiest way to use it? It has to be through Bitcoin. Because, I mean, I have Russian customers, and they were like, man, I want you to, I want you to sell Bitcoin to me, but I have Roblox, it's like, man, I'm sorry, but that piece of paper is worthless, however. <laughs> <laughs> right now, I mean, Most it's honestly worthless. I cannot read. I mean, what's the point of me taking it? There's no need for me, right? So it's kind of sad, but Bitcoin has, it's tangible all over the world. That's the best part of it, right? So if you have a balance between buyers and sellers, and for the most part, the sellers are foreigners and buyers are from Mexico, your local market. That's when you have an, a, a good growth. Because if you only buy or sell, it's a challenge. But if you can actually have like an equilibrium between both, that's honestly the easiest. And it has to be in a, in a city in which there's foreigners, but also lots of Mexicans like Cancún. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, I guess
0: Sayulita would be hard because there's just not a lot of buyers. It would just be sellers. Uh, But I mean, yeah, because it's cash, so it's not like you could... You gotta have both buyers and sellers at the same location for the cash to to balance itself out. And the Bitcoin too, right? Makes sense. Okay, interesting. Uh, Okay, so uh, that's great. Well, where can people follow you to learn more about you, to ask you any questions?
1: We have a website, it's called CryptoFlamingo.io. That's our website. And we have also WhatsApp, which is plus525627. 2769 twenty-seven sixty-nine nine zero five nine. That's our WhatsApp number that they can reach me at. And uh, we have our Instagram uh, page, which is cryptoflamingo.io. And I uh, guess those are the easiest ways that they can use, like find us. Also on Facebook, they we go as cryptoflamingo. Okay. And Twitter is something that we don't really use, so I guess this would be the best options that we have okay okay so just crypto flamingo that you know that's the you easiest mentioned. way and they can use like find the number find your instagram find our our, our facebook that's all in one place. And okay. one place okay and you can find all
0: the atm locations absolutely but you're you're on the i think you're all you all your atms on the coin atm rather yeah website. Are, over there. so if someone just is mexican they need an atm near them they'll they'll find yours on that website uh, and you're also available for OTC deal, right? OTC, OTC, yeah. So if people want to buy and sell Bitcoin in Mexico, they can contact you on WhatsApp
1: and you can do an OTC deal Absolutely. with them. And the best part of it is that you are my... Well, I've actually met you as a customer and you're a friend. But, um, you know, I make money on regular customers and referrals. I don't scan people. If I were to scan people, I wouldn't have any customers because most of my customers are my referrals. Right. Well, the reason why I'm having you in this
0: podcast is because I'm a customer of yours. I'm very happy with the service, so uh, of course, like I, I recommend it, and, and it has my approval. So. Oh, thank you so much. Awesome. Alright, well, thank you everyone for listening. Thank you, Pablo, for joining us today. This was the fifth episode of Bitcoin Expat Stories, and anyone listening, please share this podcast to the to, to people you think would be interested in learning more about Mexico Bitcoin ATMs, Bitcoin in general, and just hit me up to and on my Twitter Gustavo GFE or on my email Gustavo at floorlistchats If you have any questions, feedback, comments about the podcast, or if you want to if you want to join Pablo CryptoFlamingo.io dot io, this is the easiest way
1: for the for that. Thank you, Pablo. It was a great chat. Thank you for having me. All right. Thank you.